Yes, sir. Would you guys make my pastor welcome tonight? Hey, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I want to go ahead and let you know a couple of great things. One, Celebrate Recovery met tonight for the first time, had 19 people in there interested in leading. So we're excited about that. And then uh, <clears throat> our students tonight did a, you know, they do servant leaders on Sunday evenings prior to worship. So they went out and they did random acts of kindness. And they went out and actually washed a lot of windows and then left this note on uh, the window. Hey, a lot of uh, awesome stuff going on, too. You know, we've got our uh, Share Jesus Without Fear meeting prior to worship as well. Got several people involved in there. Heard some testimonies tonight as they're learning to share the gospel and hearing some uh, great stories about people sharing uh, the Lord today. Have a visitor here tonight that was actually invited after church today at Subway. So he came tonight. So we appreciate you coming here, Chuck. Good to see you here. Y'all welcome Chuck. He's up in the house tonight. And his son. Melissa, well, as the challenge was issued this morning, uh, I'm not going to let that one go. So we're going to continue to bring that up throughout uh, the month of March when we do hit. But you're challenged to invite an unchurched individual, somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, over to your house for dinner. And uh, Krista's already scheming some uh, plans, so I'm pretty fired up about that. It'd be a great, great time. But I want to invite you to be praying for individuals who don't know the Lord. So we're going to do that tonight, and I'm going to encourage you. Uh, if you're able, get down here at an altar, and let's spend a little time praying for it. Let's move right now. That is, uh, spend a little time praying for those who don't know the Lord and uh, praying for our service tonight as well, that God would speak to us. So let's bow our heads and our hearts to the Lord together. And choir, you can hang out up there or sit down if you like. Be fine. <clears throat> and Father, what a privilege it is to uh, be called a child of yours. Uh, to be brought into the kingdom, uh, not by our good works, but entirely based upon your grace. And God, I thank you even for hearing uh, Nelson's testimony tonight and share Jesus without fear, how for so long he thought that in order to get to heaven, he had to work his way there until somebody sat down over dinner and shared the gospel with him. Thank you for using that man in his life to share the good news. And thank you, Lord, for using that scripture in the book of Ephesians to really uh, grab hold of his attention that it is not by uh, our works that save us, but it is grace through faith in Jesus. Thank you for that. And God, tonight I'm just uh, praying uh, for this church body. Uh, you're the head. We want to follow hard after you, be obedient to you. And Father, we know indeed that your son had a passion for those who were outside of the faith. And so, Father, as we seek to uh, be disciples of Christ, we know as a body we need to have a passion for those outside of the faith too. So continue to drive that into our hearts and give us people that need to know you. Put them in our path. Uh, let us work with them. Let us socialize with them recreationally. Let us invite them over to our homes and then open doors of opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Father, for these um, that Chris and I have on our heart, uh, we want to lift them up to you specifically tonight and pray that you would, that by your grace, speak truth into their life, uh, so orchestrate their circumstances that their hearts are pliable and open to the gospel. And I ask, Lord, that we would be able to give great testimony of your grace in their life in the days ahead. God, thank you for those who prayed to receive you this morning. Uh, always exciting to see people 
respond by faith to you uh, in our worship services. And tonight, Lord, as we continue to study the scripture together, help us to have a great passion for your word and a heart that beats for the things that your heart beats for. God, thank you for our students tonight, uh, fired up uh, about their ministry, uh, going out into the community, serving people. And God, I pray that that would only open up doors of opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Lord, thank you as well for Celebrate Recovery. And Michael and Shannon, as they're leading that charge, continue to put people around them, the right people, uh, to be involved in that ministry that we might be able to reach out with the good news of the gospel to those who are in need. And God, I'm trusting that you're going to do a great work through that ministry as well. Now free us up tonight uh, to be able to hear from you and continue to bind us together in unity and love, uh, accomplishing your purpose, your mission, which is to make disciples everywhere. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 36 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wing. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Yeah, your justice flows like the ocean's tide and i will lift my high voice to worship you my king i will find my high strength in the shadow of your God's word. You guys stand. Let's sing it once again. Your love. Your love, oh Lord, reaches to the
given us such an amazing reason to lift our voice. I will lift my voice. Lord, we do that with the psalmist tonight. I will lift my voice to worship you, my king. And Father, that's a heart decision, not a vocal decision. And Lord, tonight we desire to be underneath the shadow of your wing. We bless you. We're so honored to lift our voice to you. Pray that you'd be with pastor as he breaks your word of life, as he opens your word. Let the aroma fill this place, Father. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity and the pleasure and the honor to be able to dig into your word tonight and learn more about who you are and what you desire for us to do. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, God. Amen. Appreciate Y'all let the choir know one time how much you appreciate them. So glad to have you guys. Uh, you brought a Bible, I'll go ahead and invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke's Gospel chapter 5 is where we're located. And uh, going verse by verse through this awesome Gospel written by the Dr. Luke. And uh, so challenged uh, this morning personally through uh, the preaching, but also just some great truths tonight that I want to share with you. So Luke's Gospel chapter 5, verse 33 through 39 will be our text. You can stand with me in honor of God's Word. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 33 through 39. And the Bible says, And they said to him, uh, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come and when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And he was also telling them a parable. Uh, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, uh, both, excuse me there, otherwise he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. In verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight, and I pray that you would make it come alive in our hearts and be planted into our souls that we might be more like you. Teach us from the text, and thank you, Jesus, for what you are teaching all of us and what it means to follow hard after you in these days. So draw people to salvation even tonight, if you so desire. And Father, uh, most of all, make us uh, strong witnesses for your namesake in this area. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Well, don't forget the context of where we're located in Luke chapter 5. You have Jesus hanging out at Levi's house. He's a tax collector. They've got a party going on, to say the least. And then you have some individuals coming directly to him to question him. Now, you know what the problem really is within the text, don't you? Uh, the major problem is that Jesus and his disciples were having fun. They were enjoying one another's company. They were hanging out with other people. They were laughing. Uh, they were telling stories. They were eating. They were drinking. They were fellowshipping. Now, have you ever run into people who are similar to the religious elite of Jesus' day? They think that pursuing a godly life means that you should be miserable. 
You know, I've actually uh, had people say to me in the past when I was cutting up and having a good time, they would kind of call me off to the side or something and say, hey, I, I thought you were a preacher. Which I always think that's interesting. Uh, they were thinking like these religious people in our text that to follow God meant misery and boredom. In fact, they, uh, the religious people of Jesus' day made sure that following God was not fun. Now, how did they do this? Well, they made up these massive to-do lists, and they made up these equally massive to-don't lists. They would seek to live up to their created standard of devotion and also seek to get everyone else to live up to their created standard of devotion. The people were completely consumed with their religious list. You know, they actually added over 600 commandments to God's law. And they were teaching them as if they had come from God himself. They added their personal religious traditions to God's law. And then started teaching them as if they came directly from God. Think about what's happening in our text. They're still in Levi's house. They're looking at Jesus and his disciples with great disdain. And they're snubbing their nose at what the Lord is up to. They have this mental checklist of religious activity that they don't think Jesus is following. And on the top of that list, without a doubt, you would have uh, it simply stated, don't hang out with tax collectors. And then the second on the list will be, don't hang out with sinners. You know, they're equally as bad as tax collectors. And then on that list, they would also have a do that would be, make sure that you do fast the way I tell you to fast. And notice verse 33. They said to him, the disciples of John fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours, they eat and they drink. In other words, John's people are fasting. The Pharisees' people are fasting. But Jesus, your people, they are not fasting. What is up with that? The law required fasting without a doubt on the Day of Atonement, but many other fasts were added by religious Jews. In fact, the fast every Monday and Thursday were added to the one scriptural fast and then became markers of a person's spirituality. And remember, this was a Pharisaical tradition which was being taught as if it were the Word of God. And Stuart Weber, New Testament scholar, notes, and I quote, both John the Baptizer's disciples... And the Pharisees built fasting into their standard regimen, far beyond the requirements of the Old Testament law. Although this was not bad in and of itself, they began to believe that any person who fell short of this standard of righteousness was less devout in his or her faith than they were. See, Jesus Christ did not come to add to their list of unbiblical traditions. He came to fulfill God's law perfectly and establish righteousness by faith alone in Him alone. And John MacArthur notes, and I quote, The pharisaical, legalistic, external, self-righteous system of traditional Judaism could neither connect with nor contain the ministry and message of Jesus Christ. Consequently, that system had only one option, to oppose and seek to eliminate Christ, which is what it did, end quote. Jesus did not come to do away with the divine law. In fact, Jesus declared that he did not come to destroy the law, but actually to fulfill it. God's law and his grace have always coexisted and have always been perfectly compatible. That which Christ is about to eliminate is the teaching of men as if it were God's word. He'll do that in our text tonight. You know, Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 15 that they were teaching traditions of man as if they were commandments of God. 
Jesus wants us to know, you and I, that he does not fit into a man-made religious system. So what lessons do we find Jesus teaching, especially to those who have their own self-made religion? A few lessons that he teaches tonight, but the very first one is simply this. Jesus is saying, my presence brings internal joy, not external junk. Notice verse 34 in your Bible again. The scripture says, Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them. Can you? So he questions them with a question. And by the way, that was uh, pretty common in Jewish um, literature, but also common in Jewish life. Uh, whenever they would question an individual, they would respond with another question. It was just a way of speaking in those particular days. But while the disciples of John were mourning and fasting, and most likely because John, their leader, was in prison by this time, Jesus and his disciples were having a reception party. It did not compute uh, to them that they were celebrating and having a good time. Jesus Christ likens the reception to a wedding banquet. In fact, his attendants, which would have been his disciples, were there having a time of absolute joy. Now, I've been to many weddings and to many wedding receptions. Uh, most of them have some type of food, and I know for a fact that the people at the reception are not fasting. Are y'all listening? Because I watch them fill up their plates and eat. You know, according to a particular commentary entitled the IVP Bible Commentary, it's a background commentary, it says this about wedding feast, quote, wedding feast required seven days of festivity. Seven days. One was not permitted to fast or engage in any other acts of mourning or difficult labor during a wedding feast. Jesus makes an analogy about the similar inappropriateness of fasting in his own time. End quote. You know, Jesus Christ is referred to the bridegroom of the bride in several instances throughout the New Testament. He's saying to John's disciples, listen, you guys, you need to listen. You are fasting when you should be celebrating. The bridegroom is right here in front of you. It is I. I am the long-awaited and anticipated promised and prominent king. I have come to bring you internal joy, not external junk. I didn't come to give you more traditions. I came to be Lord, not a legalist. Verse 35 in your Bible, but the days will come. And when the bridegroom is, notice in your Bible it says, taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Now, the phrase Christ uses here is taken away. That stood out to me in my study. And the phrase in the Greek New Testament uh, used to speak of being snatched away violently. It carries the idea of a sudden removal. Jesus is saying that he will be suddenly removed from his disciples and actually snatched away from them. Jesus was referring to his own soon coming crucifixion, which would suddenly take him away. Then out of their broken and grieved heart, they would fast. However, Jesus has told his disciples, according to John chapter 14, good news. He says it like this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Jesus said, it's actually going to be good when I go. Because then the helper will come. See, Jesus Christ will be taken away violently on a Friday from the earth. And then he would be raised up on Sunday. And then after 40 days of showing himself to many people, he would ascend into heaven, sit down at the right hand of the Father. And all those who would by faith receive Jesus Christ as Lord and repent of their sins would have residing within their hearts the presence of the Holy Spirit. And to borrow a line from Paul the Apostle, where the presence of the Lord is, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. So Jesus says, I didn't come 
to bring a bunch of external junk. I came to bring you internal joy. There's a second reality that we see Jesus teaching, and that is Jesus is saying, my purpose is to clothe you with righteousness, not add to your religious activity. Notice verse 36. This is wild. He says, he was telling them also a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Now, Jesus is saying that the traditions of men are like that old garment which has a hole on it. And the hole in that cloth represents the fact that their way of life is always checking up short. A person's traditions and their to-do list and their to-don't list, it does not make them whole. The patch represents Jesus, and he's letting them know that they can't fit him into their system of thinking. So he's saying, fellas, you can't sow me and my message of the kingdom into your to-do list of how to be righteous. Saying, I didn't come to live by your man-made religious rules, and neither did I come to add to them. See, man has sought for far too long to clothe himself before God. He did that in the garden. When Adam sinned, what did he do? He made himself clothes out of fig leaves. He tried to cover up his sinfulness. And this is what religious activity seeks to do, to cover up sinfulness. However, Jesus Christ doesn't want to just teach us how to cover up our sinfulness. He's saying, my purpose is actually to clothe you with my righteousness. You know, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what Jesus came to do. And Jesus does this in our life. <laughs> I love, I, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to now. But it was wild, you know, in our class uh, tonight. Uh, Nelson, where are you at? Nelson Sr., you in the house? There he is. Nelson's sharing his testimony here tonight. Nelson, get up here. You're going to share it again. Come on, let's go. No, I'm serious. It's a heart attack. Let's go. Come on. Please, don't make me come to you. Where's that microphone at? When Nelson was sharing his testimony, it was wild because I'm like, this so fits with what I'm going to share tonight. And uh, three minutes is all you got, just like in our class, all right? But share your testimony, how you came to know Jesus. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't expect this to happen, but... Uh, Pastor asked to share my testimony, and I was just telling him that uh, I w grew up in a in a system of a church where it was a system of works in the Catholic Church, and uh, uh, throughout my younger years, you know, we tried to work our way into heaven by doing good things. And uh, after quite after a while, I came to the realization that you could never work your way to heaven, and uh, became kind of disillusioned with the church completely. And really, by the time I was an adult, and Denise and I were married, we really stopped going to the church. To, but uh, along came our firstborn, Nelson, our son, Nelson, who's here. Uh, when he was born, uh, we went and had him confirmed in the Catholic Church, mainly just from uh, pressure from our families, and that was just the thing to do. And both of us at that time realized that we really didn't have any idea uh, how to raise our children or what to tell them about the Lord that we really didn't know ourselves. And the Lord used his birth to kind of work in my heart. And uh, we had just moved, and... Uh, our neighbors that we moved next to were Christians, and uh, Denise ended up getting saved first, but she went to church and invited a, a fellow named Ray Davis, who we actually bought our lot from, to come over uh, to our house after uh, Sunday church. And I didn't attend church, because as a good Catholic, you only have to go twice a year. But uh, <laughs> but he came over after after church and sat there and had lunch, and I thought after lunch they'd just leave. And But anyway, 
he opened the Bible similar to what we were learning in our class and let me read the verses. And I was shocked that, because uh, as growing up, I was always taught that a priest had to interpret the Bible for us. So we had a Bible, but I never opened it. And he went through the Romans road and I could read and understand each verse. And then when he went to Ephesians 2, 8, 9 about how we're saved uh, by grace, it's a gift of God, not of works. It just really, you know, it hit me so hard, I just couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe that I could understand it. And then uh, he asked me if I would like to accept Christ as my Savior. And I just told him it was so many new things to think of at one time that I, you know, I just, I had to have time. But it was later that same evening where I, the Lord just convicted me that I either had to deny the fact that there was a God or believe what I had just read with my, you know, from the Bible. And I accepted Christ as my Savior. I was 26 years old, and I went on to say that, you know, we've had eight children, but without being saved, I would have had no compass or any direction on how to raise them. And even though we've had, you know, trials and different things happen over our lifetime, that the Lord's always been with us, and we're grateful for that. And thanks for putting me on the spot. Amen, brother. Awesome. Appreciate it, brother. See, it is shocking how many people in our culture where we live are wrapped up in the idea they can work themselves into heaven. Same thing going on with the people in Jesus' day. And Jesus just shows up and says, don't try to sew me onto that cloth. I want to give you a whole new wardrobe, righteousness. I give that to you freely. And I like, well, like what Nelson said, and all he's doing is quoting Paul the Apostle, but he's saying, and it's a gift. Can't earn it. You don't earn gifts. They're given to you freely, right? Love to hear stuff like that. It's awesome. Appreciate you, brother. I'll give you that 10 bucks later on, all right? God bless you. There's a third reality Jesus is teaching, and I, I like this one as well. Jesus really is saying, my proclamation of the gospel to all men is going to blow up your way of thinking. That's what Jesus is getting at. Look with me at verse 37 and 38. The Bible says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Now, what is a wineskin? A wineskin was made uh, from whole goat hides. The animal was skinned from the neck by severing the legs. I figured that would be encouraging to share with y'all. Uh, then the openings of those legs were tied off and naturally... Old wineskins would begin to dry out and become hard. And if new wine was placed into an old wineskin, it would burst when the wine began to ferment because of the gas pressure that builds up in the skin. However, a new wineskin is flexible and will expand when the wine begins to ferment. So what is Jesus illustrating? This is wild. Old wineskins uh, represents the Pharisaical tradition and rabbinical teachings excluding the Gentiles. In other words, they didn't even believe Gentiles should come to faith, which is crazy because in the Old Testament, Gentiles are getting saved left and right. They're coming to faith in God. You know, Rahab the harlot, she was a Gentile. She's in the lineage of Jesus. And anyway, she had a relationship with the Lord. I don't understand how they got so blinded to that reality. But then let's talk about the new wine here for just a moment. The message of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, which is sufficient to pay for the sin of the world. All those who exercise faith alone in Christ alone will be saved. People will be declared righteous because of what Christ has done, not because man adhered to some to-do list. So the, the new wine skin, it represents those who will receive the message of the new wine, the gospel of Christ. Thus, we take this to mean the church and the church has received the message of the true gospel, which is based upon faith alone in Christ alone. 
We don't add to this. We don't take away from this. All of those who are saved by faith alone and Christ alone experience grace alone and are now part of the church in a real deal relationship with God. And the message of God's grace is not based upon what we do for God, but rather it is based entirely upon what God has done for us in Christ. God's grace is not spelt D-O. Do this, do that, do this. God's grace is not spelled D-O-N apostrophe T. Don't do this or don't do that. God's grace is spelled D-O-N-E. It's a done deal. Did it in the cross. And notice verse 39, a verse that I don't like. But notice what he says. No one after drinking old wine wishes for new. He says the old's good enough. You know what Jesus is doing prophetically here? Jesus is actually saying that those Jewish individuals would never accept this new wine of the gospel. And as you study throughout the gospels, you also find that Jesus began to speak in parables to actually hide the truth. It was, a, it was actually a form of condemnation to these individuals who would not receive him as king. So he spoke in parables, then he'd get along and he'd talk with the disciples and share with them exactly what it meant because their eyes were open. In other words, the truth is, if you do not open your eyes and act in faith based upon the light which you have received, God is not required to give you any more light. But if you act upon faith, the light which you have received, you get some more light. And these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes, they would not respond to the light of Jesus. And so he turned the lights out and began to speak in parables. It's wild, isn't it? You know, um, yeah, I don't have time. Good night. That's awesome. Hey, you know, it says wine in here, so most of y'all are thinking, man, that mean we can go drinking? No, I'm just kidding. But I, I know what happens off the time when I read this and I, I begin to look. You know, the first miracle Jesus ever uh, did, he turned the water into wine. Do y'all remember that? It's in John's Gospel. What's wild about that, though, is you study the New Testament, you find out that wine becomes a picture, uh, really a, uh, how shall you say it, a, a depiction of Jesus Christ's blood. You know, we take the Lord's Supper and we drink of the juice. It's a picture of his blood. If you study that scripture real hard, you'll find that they brought all this wine in the wedding. And, you know, they were liking it. Things were going well, but they always saved, uh, always saved the worst wine for the end. And why did they do that? Because people were pretty much drunk by the end of the wedding feast, and they didn't care what the wine tasted like at the end. Are y'all listening? But the Bible says, and I love what, this is what happens. Uh, they say, hey, uh, Jesus, you think you can do something? Jesus like, my time's not come. And then all of a sudden, what, it changes, right? He goes back there. He says, hey, just, just bring me those water pots. Fill, those, fill them pots up with water and bring them to me. And then Mary, the mom, you know, she's like, do whatever he says. So they bring it over there, and then, you know, he does his thing, turns the water into wine. Then they taste it, and they say, what in the world has happened here? You have saved the best wine for last. Everybody got that picture in your mind? You've got the Old Testament sacrificial system, all of the wine being poured through that system, the blood being poured out. Good wine, good wine, good wine. But the Father saved the best wine for last, his son. Put that in your wine skin and drink it. <laughs> Woo, that's awesome, ain't it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Continue to trans.